0: Hi everyone, just a quick one from me. This podcast was done last week, so any mention of how the season's going is obviously before the Wigan win and before Tuesday's second misadventure to Oxford, worth bearing in mind. Okay, enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. We are very lucky to have another special guest with us today. But before we introduce them, let's introduce our panellists who are joining us today. First up, and feeling like a special guest appearance himself, with only his second appearance on the pod. It's my mum's favourite son, it's Neil Price. Hi Neil. Hi Stu, you okay? Yeah, I'm good thanks. No comment on that about mom. mum. No,
1: no. I mean, we we both know it's true, so there's no point uh, <laughs> expanding on it, is there?
0: No, fair enough.
1: Uh, it's been a while since we
0: last heard from you. What's your thoughts on the season so far?
1: Um, I mean, to be expected, really, isn't it, with the the fixtures that we've had at early doors? Um, so yeah, just I I'm just going to wait for the the magical sort of ten game marker and see where where we're at, but. Yeah, there's nothing to worry about, I don't think. Fair play. Uh, next up then, Tim Robinson.
0: Hi, Tim. Hi, Stu. Hi, Neil. Hi. How are you doing? A little bit under the weather, Tim.
2: Yeah, on the mend. Uh, not too bad, thank you. Uh, excited for this one today? I am. It's uh, it's always nice to get someone uh, who's been on the other side of the fence uh, from us fans to, uh, to get an opinion from. Yeah, very excited.
0: So today, we are very lucky to have with us someone who spent uh, over 30 years inside the club. He played for the first team, came through the academy. Not only that, but he coached in the academy, as well as being assistant manager of the first team. I think that's probably enough clues to who we have with us. It's James Collins. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. So let's start at the beginning then. Makes sense. Um, At what age, James, did it become apparent that you were a better footballer than the children you were playing with?
3: (laughs) It wasn't quite like that. I was... um my mum and dad moved over from Derby to Crew as part of the railways and um, I had a brother who was 14 months older um, and he he um, got asked to go on trial at Crew when way before sort of the academy days, the centre of excellence days where if you're in the local town team, you sort of everybody got invited down to to train. Um, he went down and I used to go down and watch him and I was kicking a ball outside um, Gristy Road where the old AstroTurf was and against the wall and while my brother was training, um, and eventually I was asked to go and join in, <laughs> so I joined in. And then a few months later, my brother got let go, and I got kept on. So it was a bit of a strange way of getting scouted. Yeah. Um, so that, has he forgiven I you for that? I think so. I think so by now. Yeah. He was he was into so many other things. I was obsessed with football, whereas he was rugby and lots of other sports. So he wasn't too bothered, whereas I was I was obsessed
0: um so then obviously you were in the academy what was it like joining the crew academy then was it same as what you'd expect for the the kids
3: today or was it a completely different world oh it was then? a different world it was i have to say really it was a real joy to me i loved football loved everything about football so to go be you know invited down and and to train with good players and be coached by good coaches i just loved every minute of it and and was hooked from the start and would would have spent my whole life down there if i could um, I would have, I would have sacked school off then if I could, um, but yeah, it was it was it was brilliant. Um, not quite as, as I suppose the word professional as it is now, although it was still professional and, and well ran. It was just you know much more. You know, I remember as under twelve we were playing in a in a league in Liverpool against year older players in a, like a Sunday league in Liverpool to toughen us up. That was that was what we were doing back back in those days, so uh, you know, a great idea, which we won't get away with doing now. Um, yeah, it was good days, good days.
0: OK, so you just mentioned coaching there, being coached by good coaches. Um, we'll get on to Dario in a minute, I'm sure. Is there anyone else who stood out there um, at Crew as a big factor in your development as a player or what you thought about getting into when you finished playing?
3: To be honest, when I first started, is a bit of a uh, taboo subject, but Barry Bunnell was there when I first started. Um and he was he was what you know you read in the papers he was everyone thought he was this wonder wonderful charismatic guy that that was, that was a brilliant coach obviously we didn't know at that time all the all the other stuff that came with it um, and I, you know I was well, classed myself to be lucky in that way that I never sort of witnessed anything of that side and and I have to say I thought I, you know I was a ten eleven year old kid I thought you know he was a brilliant coach and then obviously Dario was involved and then um, and later on you know that was brilliant. And then further down the line there was um Chris Walters. Um Steve Walters, his dad was was a coach of mine. And then it was Steve Holland as, as a youth team player, which was probably at the age I was just starting to understand the game well. Um and Steve was a real, you know, mentor to me in that way and then and sort of inspired me to, you know, to, to go where I've sort of been now, I would say.
0: Yeah, I had a little read of your um interview with Pete Morse when you left crew um, and you said in there that at the age you were at when you were being coached by Steve Holland, you just assumed everyone was getting coaching this yeah, good.
3: Yeah, so honestly, I, I look at it. I, I, I live five minutes from from Crew's ground, and that's where I first went with football. My dad taught me in Haslington Hawks in Haslington, and then I went to Crew, and I just assumed everyone was was you know I had Dario, Steve Holland, you know, and even Barry. To be fair, they they were they were good coaches, and I just thought this was what coaching was, and I thought they were. Um, you know, I thought everybody around the country was getting this sort of coaching um, until, I, and it was a few years later I realised. You know, when I went on coaching courses, you know, with the FA and with that, I realised, wow, I've been getting, I've been luckier um, because they were so far not ahead of everybody, but ahead of most. And I think, you know, I, I, that's when I realised I was lucky to have been, but you know, been living five minutes from cruise trip, you know, ground. What role did you would you
0: say that Dario had in your development? What? Age? Did he sort of um, start taking an interest in the players in your age group, um, and then did he sort of uh, show any special interest in the players that were going to be that he thought was going to make it, or did everyone get a fair crack?
3: When we were really young, Dario Dario showed interest in, in everything at the club, um, so you always felt Dario was a big part of it. I remember him coaching us on the Astroturf. And then rushing off at twenty-two eight for a game, you know, and uh, when the ground was next to the Astroturf. So, you know, that, what, what manager? Again, I was young, and I just thought that was normal, <laughs> but obviously, you know, it wasn't. Um, so, Dario showed an interest, you know, in all age groups from an early age. Having said that, I think you know the, the year below me was uh, Peter Moore, Seth Johnson, Neil Critchley. They were a bit of a wonder group, and we weren't. Our, our group wasn't great, I have to say. We had um, year above us was Danny Murphy, etc. So. Our group was sort of a. We, we always felt that we were weren't a popular group, if you like, with the staff. We didn't think we were the ones highly thought of. Um, but again, that that never affected us. We just got on with it, and we all got treated well. Um, but it was, I suppose it was fifteen, sixteen when I really realised that, you know, Dario, they thought I was all right because they gave me a YTS, which was that was when I sort of thought I might have a chance here of, being, of doing something. Was Kev Street in your year as well, James? Yeah, he was street Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, I, he was probably Kev was the high flyer in our year. Really, he was the one who, from an early age, was highly thought of in the local area and was, you know, a good player. Um, but yeah, Streety was was the main man really in our group.
2: I remember playing lads and dads against Kev Street, so I think you you and me must be the same age
3: we must be, don't don't give me age away. Though. Yeah, we will oh, be, we will be, if, we will be if we played against Kev. Yeah, I think he played for, was it Wolverton or someone like that? I think it was, he, he played in the, in the local leagues. But yeah, he was, um, he was a good player, Kev, um, dedicated and, and probably didn't get the credit he deserved for, you know, he did, he did well for a, a period of time with us.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. say. I think he was sort of always on the periphery, wasn't he, he of a very good right. crew team when, uh, yeah, when he was breaking true. through. Yeah. Um, so, you just mentioned Pete Morse. we had him on a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned in his chat um, there was an aura about Dario that you would just sense that he was there before you'd even seen him
3: you you, you would always get an impression he was around and if you know if he wasn't there he, he it always felt like he was there to be honest um you know he didn't have days off and didn't um he, he showed an interest in everything but yeah you you know if you were playing, having a training session or you were playing a game or and he suddenly arrived, you knew you know you just knew um. So again, I guess there was a feeling of, and again in them days, it was a mixture of a bit of nervousness because you know he was the you know the main man and and obviously then in awe of him because he was you know so good at what he did and a bit of everything really in them early and, and I have to say some people you know young kids folded in that environment I have to say um, but I I just loved playing football and, and loved it. You've had you mentioned Dario and
2: and Steve Holland there, James, and also you've, you've worked with Neil Baker and. Steve Davis and I'm sure um, we're gonna get onto those later on. But who was it worth to get a bollocking off? Oh, that's a great question, that. Bates
3: Bakes, Bakes <laughs> was always straightforward with you and he was a scary man, Bakes. I remember being a YTS and he'd walk up to you with his fag in his mouth and I remember being petrified of him. I really do. Um but he was always honest and he was always um Oh, you just felt he was a—he was looking after you. It was—it was never nasty. It was always, but he was scary when he went when he went nuts. Dario was a bit different in the fact that he could just cut you with a couple of words. Um, you know he might say something like, "You know, none of you are going to play in my my first team," and that would <laughs> that would kill you. You know, you would think this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And he, he it might be under 14s, and you had the whole team had been poor in the first half, and he would just say, "Well, none of you are going to get in my first team in a few years, time and That would. You know, that would cut you much deeper whereas Bakes was, you know, very straight down the line and if he gave you a bollock in it, <laughs> you knew about it. But you you always felt he was with you after that as well. James, you mentioned about coaching courses
2: before, going on FA coaching courses and mixing with other coaches from other clubs. for fans who probably come no closer to football management or coaching than football manager, um, although not to not football manager, speaking of someone who'll put no. a suit on and play abide with me when I get my team to the cup final um, <laughs> but we hear about these you know UA for pro license and UA for a license and we assume it's a bit like I don't know like a, a football boarding course or, or something um, but
3: what are they actually like those sort of uh, courses they've changed a bit now well, what what it used to be you used to get you used to get your first coaching badge when you were a YTS it was like the initial prelim and then you then decide whether to go on the B license if you wanted to coach at a certain level you had to have a B license so that would be a two week boarding course basically and then you'd get a pass or a fail at the end of it. Um and then it sort of that, that what extended a bit more and the A licence became when you you went for a week and you had to do a year of work and then you go back for another week and it'd be a pass or a fail. Um and it, it went a bit like that, they've changed them a bit nowadays where they come to your club and they they, they sort of mentor you a bit more now and it, it used to be a bit more straight down the line, you know, pass or fail. Now it's a little bit more you get guided through your your, your development, if you like. Um, I always felt that crew, you know, crew knew more than they knew. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to the FA. I just, you know, I, I used to go on the courses and come back thinking, Dario and Steve know more than these. And, and I think that's improved now. But I think in them days, I, I just saw the, the passing the, the badges as a way to keep me working at crew, really, as opposed to educating myself and developing myself, which I think now they're a little bit more like that. And I saw that you're, um,
2: you're one of the, I think at the time it was 16 coaches that were chosen for the Level 5 Elite Coaches Award. What what was that one like and how did you get chosen for that?
3: That was um, Dick Bate, who passed away a couple of years ago. He was very much like Dario, um, a, a real mentor of coach development and probably one of the, as with Dario, one of the best in the country, if not the world. And he, it was a bit of a, a baby of his that he, he always felt at the FA there was nothing that, mentored the coaches they, they, a little bit like what I just said you had you went on a course you passed or failed and then you went back to your club and I think he decided that he wanted to get the best young coaches in the country or what he perceived as the best young coach in the country together to through a sort of two-year three-year course that that wasn't pass or fail but was about getting good people in to listen to you know develop you um, mix with each other become a bit of a Alumni type thing, you know, you yeah. a frat a fraternity if you like, um, because I think he'd come through the the Dario Gradi, Dave Sexton, Roy Hodgson, um, Don Howe. They, they they all knew each other, and we're all they would be in constant contact with each other. And I think that had been lost a little bit, and he felt that was a good way of of getting that back. Um, so you know, I was lucky enough to be invited on that, and it was a fabulous course. That was a that was probably the first course I went on where I thought, wow, you know, this is. That really got me going. You know, got got the the pulse racing. Whereas other courses I've been on, I always felt it was just to to pass, you know, pass the time and get the get the qualification. And um, that was a brilliant course.
0: Let's move on to playing for the first team. Then,
3: um, how did you learn you were going to make your first team debut? Can't remember. I remember being part. I remember being part of the group that were training. Um, we were. I knew there was a, it was a lot the league cup was called in them days. Again, you know, a berry on the Tuesday night. And then I I realized I was part of the squad. Um, and then, so, so to be sub, I was, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I was delighted. And then um, early on in the game, I think it was Gareth Wally, I think got injured within 10 minutes of the game. And I'm there sat there, not really thinking about it. And he says, come on, you're on. And that was it. And, in some ways, it was a great way because I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. And I ended up playing, it went to extra time, I think. I ended up with a debut. that I remember Harold Finch telling me it was the longest debut in cruise history or something at that time. Or whether he was you know, just teasing me, I don't know. But I ended up playing sort of eight minutes of the game plus extra time um, and, did, and did quite well. So all of a sudden, I was thrown into the, not limelight, but thrown into the middle of it without having to have to worry about it, really. So, yeah, it was good.
0: Again, looking at Wikipedia, it says you only made 24 appearances for the first team. For those of us, uh, those of the people that are listening that maybe are too young to know why, why was it only 24 um, Truthfully, I think
3: I was never quite good enough, in truth. And it takes, you know, it takes a few years after to realise that. But we had a really, was probably the best crew team in, you know, crew's history around that time. When I, when I got a first year pro, you know, the midfield was, it was Danny Murphy, Robbie Savage. Seth was coming up a year behind me. Um, it was Gareth Wally Jermaine uh, Wright. Jermaine Wright was there around that time. These were these are bloody good midfield players. Um, and I was a midfield player, and I have to say, I'm not saying they carried me because I'll be doing myself a bit of a disservice. But I felt when I was training with them every day, it was uh, they were good players, and that, it was you were playing against good players, but you're also playing with good players. Um, and I, I felt. I probably overachieved to get 24 games, if I'm honest. Now, don't get me wrong, I, did, I had some good games in there, but really, I always felt I was just below that level, really, in truth. And then when I, when it all sort of, you know, came to an end, I, I had a one or two offers to go lower and it were long distances and I think mean, Torquay offered me a year and I think, well, at that time, they were in the second division and it was, wasn't was much money and, I, and and i just started coaching and I was thinking coaching might be the future for me. I'm not going to earn ridiculous amount of money from playing anymore and so I decided to stick with the coaching but I was probably to play 24 games in the championship for someone of my ability was probably I I see it rather than an underachievement as an overachievement Um, so yeah that's probably why it was 24 probably because I wasn't quite up to it.
0: So in your time there you've mentioned some players that who you were competing with for midfield spaces who was the best player in that crew team that you played with?
3: When I just before I got in, it was Neil Lennon. He was he was unbelievable. I have to say, brilliant player, and was great with me. Um, and I have to say, he was man of the match every week. Before he announced the man of the match, it was like when I was a YTS, they used to go man of the match, and we all used to go Neil Lennon because it was every week. Um, but then probably the team I was in and around, it, it was Gareth Wally was the most I thought talented because he he just couldn't get the ball off him. Um, but probably the most effective was Danny Murphy who was a year above me and he, he, you know, I was a bit in awe of him. He scored goals, he made goals, he was powerful, he was confident. Um, so he was probably the most effective. But I thought, you know, talent-wise, Gareth, playing against Gareth Wally in training, was—you didn't get a kick, just didn't give you a kick. So would that suggest maybe Danny Murphy overachieved
0: <laughs> or Gareth Wally underachieved?
3: Danny they? Murphy was effective. He was very talented, don't get me wrong. Murphy was a really a top player. Um but Murph was you know, unbelievably driven. And he and when you get goals and make goals, that gets you in a team. Gareth was probably more subtle and clever on the eye. Uh, and he still played, you know, he still played in the Premier League and, and had a good career. But, um, you know, pure talent, I thought Gareth had more, maybe. But Murph had much more, um, I suppose, effectiveness, if you like, to the game. He could affect the game more and he would get important goals at important times. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a key, key trait. You know, as a coach now, you you want players that are going to score and make your goals. You want players that are going to stop goals, make goals, and score goals. That was one of Dario's sayings. And Murph could do all three, whereas Gareth probably didn't score many, um, didn't particularly stop them, but was probably good at making them. So, you know, I, I was good on the eye, but probably not quite as good as Murph at them them three things. I loved Gareth
2: while was a fan. Um, I always just think he was like a left footed Jamie Redknapp. He was just uh, such an elegant player.
3: He was,
1: it, yeah.
2: Looking back now at those um, first few championship years for the clubs, it always felt like we were at the bottom of the table every Christmas, but stayed up every year. So mm-hmm. it felt like we lost every game in the first half of the season and won every game in the second half of the season. It must have been some atmosphere in the dressing room when the team got on one of those roles in the second
3: half of the season. What, what, what I felt used to happen was a lot of clubs put a lot of pressure on the players to win. It was about winning. And Dario was never like that. And I know that used to drive some supporters mad. But he was very, he was always about performance and development. So you could go on a run with crew in a championship. I remember we did. You could be like 10 without a win. Now, 10 without a win for other teams, they would be folding underneath the pressure because that was, the manager was under pressure. The manager would then put pressure on the players. The players would buckle. And and you could see teams second half of the season who were near the bottom would go on a run and they couldn't get out of it. Whereas, we always felt that every game was a new game because that's how Dario made us feel. And I think when you get to the pressure points of the second half of the season, that used to hold the team in good stead because you know we could be on the back of six losses, but we weren't feeling that pressure. If that makes sense, um, and I think that helped us when you know when it, when it got to the second half of the season.
0: Yeah, I remember sort of thinking when I was younger that there was never any pressure on Dario being sacked. In I mean, part of the reason he was on the board himself, so he wasn't going to sack himself, but. He was just never in any danger that there was the process was there, and trust in the process because the results will come, and if they don't, it doesn't matter too much because we're working on like you say the progression mm. of the but players you look at that as now well.
3: and and listen, I know some people might felt Dario went on for a bit too long in the first team and and obviously supporters it's exciting to see new managers it's exciting to see that, but the club you know John himself, the chairman and the club knew you know what they were on to a good thing, you know nobody else. You know, at that time, up to that point in the club's history, had took the club that far, um, and and it'll be difficult to do it again in the future. I'm not saying impossible, but it it's difficult to to be mid table in the championship, or I've spent a few years in the championship is for a club like Crew, the size of Crew, is difficult. Um, and I think for him to do that, I think the club were fully aware that he earned the right to to lose a few, if you like, and and as long as he you know kept the club going and and kept them going up and down those leagues. Excellent. So
0: last question then before we move on to the coaching. This might be a question you can't answer because you've already said you can't remember sort of who told you about your first team but I was going to say, are there any games that stick out in your mind as being like extra special?
3: Uh, All my family are Derby County fans and we played Nottingham Forest on Boxing Day. So I remember going over to my family um, on Christmas Day because you know, we didn't train Christmas Day with Dario because we had Sean Smith who was from Leeds and Macca, Steve McCauley who was from Blackpool and he he was very good at allowing them to have a day with the families when some teams trained Christmas Day um, so I went over to Derby and I remember that feeling of being, I don't know what I was, early 2021, 20, 20, I can't remember and you know, with all my family all my family hate Forrest because they were Derby fans and I was playing in the Championship against Forrest the next day and I remember that feeling that Christmas, Christmas is always a nice feeling anyway um i just remember that that thinking wow i've i've this is what i dreamed of doing as a kid and i remember going to bed early that night which obviously you don't want to do at that age but i was just buzzing to go to bed because i had forest the next day and it, that was probably the time that uh, no it hit me the most and i remember the most did you play in that game at white hart lane i came on a sub late on um late on in that game which was i have to say it was a special moment um I got Stefan Fruin's shirt, which I think I was the last I think I was last in the queue. People got Ginolas and Sim Tim Sherwoods oh, and I and Yeah, he would. Be. Yeah, he would. He would. Um they had they had, you know, I, I came on late in that game and was uh, um, I think last ten, fifteen minutes, which was an amazing experience to play in front of you know in White Hart Lane in front of all them. Um so that yeah, that would probably be the other one. But yeah, f- just for the for the fact that my de- fan, my family are derby fans to play against Forest. On Boxing Day in front of a twenty thousand um, was a it you know, was a was a proud moment.
1: Who was the best opponent you played against?
3: I, I always think that's an interesting question because sometimes the best opponent isn't the best on the day. So I I, I I remember when I left crew. Funnily enough, I went to Hereford on trial and we played Man United in a pre season friendly, and it was the Man United team. It was it was um, the Neville's It was um, Keane. It was bought. It was. Cole and york it was gigs and and it was unbelievable to play against roy Keane in midfield um but i have to say he just strolled around that day not in a you know it was a pre-season friendly he wasn't playing at full pelt um so he would probably be the best player i played against um probably for crew on the day was um for palace lombardo um he he was very good on the day if i remember and the a guy who, who Play for Blackburn called David Dunn, who I thought was a really good player and, and ran me around anyway. I didn't get a kick off him. Um, so I thought he was very good. He's the Barrow manager now, isn't he? That's right, yeah. That's right. I think you had a couple of spells with
2: Kidderminster and Northwich. That's right, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, what were they like for you? And, and generally, like how important are loan spells for player development? And, you know, and how important so. is it for crew to maintain good relationships with teams like that?
3: I think they are. I think they're really important. I, I went to Northwich and I think crew didn't know, quite know whether I was going to do it or not at that point. And Northwich were in the um, conference at the time. And I, and I scored three goals in about five games and had a real good spell. And that gave me some confidence. And I came back thinking, yeah, maybe I can do this. V- vice versa, ironically, the other one. I went to Kidderminster the first month of the season. Jan Mulby was the manager and I, I was hopeless. And I got sent off, and I never even got booked in my career. I'm on about any level. I never got booked. I didn't tackle, so I never got booked. And I got sent off at Yeovil, And I remember thinking "Harry was going to kill me. Um, And so I played about three games for Kidderminster, then got suspended, and then they sent me back. And it was the year Kidderminster got promoted. So I'm in the promotion-winning team photo at Kidderminster's ground. Ironically, we play (laughs) at Kidderminster now for Wolves. And I'm on the picture, and I'm thinking... We didn't win a game when I was there, and then they they went on an unbelievable run after that, and won, and won the league and got promoted. and And I remember coming back from that that loan thinking that could be me done at Crew because I've not even done it at Kidderminster. And funny enough, it was only, it was shortly after that that I got you know, got a chance in the team. So it's just funny how it it is funny how it works. Um, I think the loans are really important, really important because only eleven people can play for your first team on the day, and if you're doing quite well, you you want a steady team. Oh. So you need to get your football and your your development. If it's slightly lower, it's slightly lower. But if you do well, it gives you that confidence.
0: OK, so we talked about it briefly before. Um, You got into coaching whilst you were still playing.
3: Myself and Critch, Neil Critchley, who's now at Blackpool and was at Liverpool. We were round about 17, I think, maybe even a touch younger, um, at the start of our sort of playing journey. And Steve Holland called us in with Dario and basically said, we want you to, uh, we think you'll be good coaches. Um, it's not going to affect your football. But would you like to come in on a Sunday morning um, to coach? And I remember thinking, we we both sort of went, yeah, because you never said, you just didn't say no to Dario. You just went, yeah. And really deep down, we were 17 years of age. The last thing we wanted to do was being on a Sunday morning um, early with the under nines at that point. We thought we were going to be superstar footballers at that point. Um, but because Dario asked, we said, yeah. And then, as with these sort of things, you, you you come in and you start to fall in love with it, and you and you enjoy it more, enjoy it more. And um, but I remember them early days. You know, I think about it now and think, you know, we we stuck at it at times where we never missed. You know, like Sunday morning, it's easy to see, you've Been out on a Saturday night, or you've we, we used to whatever state we were in, <laughs> we used to turn up. We were there, and and I look back now and think that stickability, that durability, in them early days when we didn't need it, we didn't have to do it. Um, has paid off for both of us now I have to say later on in our our careers
0: Yeah I've got a question from another one of our panellists Steve Dale he wanted to know about Neil Critchley he said how good a coach is he Um, is he as high now being Blackpool
3: manager as he's going to go He's one of my best mates so I'm a bit biased but in in all (laughs) seriousness honestly he's as good as anything he's outstanding he's a brilliant coach he knows the game inside out he had a a really good upbringing with Dario in the fact that, you know, he, he was almost a bit of one of Dario's favourites. Um, and he spent a lot of time, like Morse at Dario's, it, it was him, Stefan, and um, Peter Morse. And they, they, they must've learnt so much, you know, spending all that time with Dario around the first team when they were young kids. Um, and that knowledge is there now. He, he's, he's outstanding. I think he can go all the way. Um, I think he's a brilliant coach. Now you need a bit of luck um, and you, you know, you need, Need the things to fall right at the right times, but he's an excellent coach, good good person, humble guy, and um, I think he, you know, I'm, I, you know, I've got me BDI on Blackpool's results every every Saturday at the moment. Why
0: do you think crew? Um, well, why do you think so many ex players then at crew turn to coaching? Because obviously you're talking there about your generation, but it's carried on, hasn't it? Um, obviously with the first team at the moment, we've got Kenny Lunt, and then working their way. We've got Lee Bell with the under 18s and David Vaughan's just joined in. Is there a sense of duty, do you think, that the academy players feel?
3: Firstly, me and Critch were sort of the first people they did that with. And it sort of worked for the club and it worked for us. And I think that was then decided that that's the way. Now, Dario wasn't, you know, he was a bright man and he knew that if he wanted people to coach his way, then he, he might as well employ people that have had five, ten years of his coaching that's what you do, you, you copy, you coach what you what you've been taught yourself. So you know he did that very cleverly and that was carried on. Um and then I think you know the players you, you always felt that, uh, it's a bit like a, I always see crew as a bit of a you know it's like an Oxford or Cambridge university of football. It's it's listen, we're not we, we are what we are. We know you know we're not gonna be top of the Premier League every year. But you always felt that it was all about developing players. It was all about um Producing, you know, improving players, making players better. So you always felt like you were part of something, um, and I think the you know the coaches feel that now. The players and coaches feel that now when they come back. Um, you know that's why Belly's there now and Kenny and um, you know it, it, you feel like you you know you're not just a coach. You're actually part of something much bigger. Um, you know a legacy, if you like, and, and that's you know, all down to Dario, to be honest. Um, but you know I look I look back now at our time and still going and. and a lot of coaches I meet have come through that, you know, Dario's tutelage, if you like, and we were all lucky that, we, you know, we, we all started under that.
1: Is that um, currently still happening, James? Because I know, like, the likes of, um, like, Harry, K- uh, Harry Clayton and um, Paris Bateman, like, they never played for the first team. But I think, as far as I'm aware, they're both coaching, like, at Premier League clubs. So, I'm guessing that sort of evolution still going on to this day.
3: Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, it is. That was something, you know, again, when I was head of coaching, that the plan was to, to keep that thing moving forward and going because it, it doesn't half help if you, you know, if you get someone in from the outside, that can add something too and it can be, diff- you know, getting a knowledge in from the outside. But these boys have been kids with crew and they know, they know how it feels to be a kid at crew and they know what crew sessions are, crew practices are. And, you know, around the country, Cruise coaches are highly thought of. You know, I'm, that's why you know Paris went to Everton is now at Man City and Harry's at Everton. Um, you know, we. I spent a lot of my time as a coach in fighting off people coming in for our coaches because you know they're highly thought of. They're, they're good coaches. Um, so I think that that's something that you know is done on purpose, but is also you know ca- has carried on and needs to needs to carry on in my opinion um, because that's part of the the style and the legacy and the and the,
2: the history that leads on to something i wanted to ask you james um you mentioned that all the clubs are you know big fan of the crew coaching method um as as fans of the club we think we've done a lot right over the years but there's also been a lot of criticism of some of the things that have happened at the club over the years um and i'm interested to know what the perception is of crew elsewhere in the football family um both on and off the pitch the clubs see us as pushovers as role models as minnows or dodgy because of Benell, what what do the other clubs around the country think of Crew?
3: That's a, a great question. In the fact of, I think all of the above. I think I think there's some who think, you know, I, there's certain people I see, and as soon as you mention Crew, they just like they want to listen to you. They want to know what you've got to say. What they want to know the Dario stories. They want to know how did Crew produce so many players and still do. Um, there's such respect for Crew um, out there, but then there's also you know even in you know, in the day, there was there's always you know been that thought of you know the kids there's been never been another club I don't think where the the kids are given so much um, attention if you like um, and I think that's you know that can come people from the outside see that as unusual um, and that's probably where all you know obviously the the Bunnell thing does, added adds fuel to that fire but I think you know, from Dario's point of view and that he, he just wanted to develop players and. and I think people from the outside, you know, can see that as you know. Used to see Dario turning up at games with four kids with him, and people think that's weird. They do, um, but we saw it as normal. We were—he was developing. He was taking them there to develop, develop them. And you know, you look at some of them people he used to take to them games, and they're now having you know Kenny Luntz, Critch, Critch is manager of Blackpool. Kenny's the assistant with us. You know, Peter Morse was the chief sports reporter for in a for the newspaper, and which speaks on the radio very well about football. He was educating people. And I think people on the outside, some do find that a little bit strange. Um, But I also know there's an unbelievable respect for the club, an unbelievable respect for the club's history of player development.
0: So after you coached for a while then, you get the job of assistant manager of the first?
3: Uh, When myself and Critch were there, um, we were both 18s coaches and we got um, asked if we'd do some work with the first team. I think they were getting to the point where they realised uh, we weren't earning great money, and we could leave. And clubs were sniffing around us. Um, and then Critch got an opportunity to go to Liverpool, and I think that pushed them even more into thinking we don't want to lose them both. Um, so what happened then was I was sort of pushed towards the under twenty ones. It was at the time, and obviously, as you know, the under twenty ones at Crew is half the first team. So I was I was working with you know the first team players without actually. A, at the first being officially first-team coach. And then um, and then I I basically became first-team coach um, for, a, I think it was about a season. And then at that point, it was Steve, Neil, and I was first-team coach. Now, I think then it was decided that Neil would head towards the recruit, recruitment side of the club, which meant I was still basically first-team coach, but named as officially assistant manager. My role didn't really change, other than um, the fact that, Neil wasn't as heavily involved on first-team duties on, on day-to-day, as in my day-to-day role was coaching the first-team players. That's what That was what my job was. And that didn't change. But So, that's how it came about. And, and yeah, I have to say, although it didn't end very well, I, I loved it. I loved working with the first team. How, and, how, how did Bakes take that uh, change? Uh, Bakes was brilliant. I don't know how he took it, um, you know, personally, if you like, but he was brilliant with me. And I mean brilliant. Um you know, I used to speak to him when they spoke to me about it. I used to go and speak to Neil straight away because I've got that much respect for him, and he was great with me. And said, "No, you've got a." You know, I, I almost said to Neil, "Neil, I won't take it if you don't." You know, if you're not happy about it, or and he was like, "No, you have to, you must." Um, and I'll always be grateful for that because he could have been awkward, and he could have been, you know, he could have thought, "No, I want to carry on doing this." Um, and I think if he'd pushed hard enough, maybe they would have let him, um, because he was that much respected. But he was brilliant with me, and and as I say, I'm. I'm still in touch with Neil now. I think he's brilliant. So, James, you just mentioned how it, it didn't end on
0: such a positive note um, with Steve Davis uh, in charge of the club. Now a bit of time has passed. How would you evaluate that spell with him in charge?
3: We all understand that, that you we know, are in the game We're just on results. For for me, and I don't want it to sound like an excuse, and it will, <laughs> but I feel that you know the club, I remember speaking at a fans forum in the December, just before we were we were we were sacked in January the eighth, I think. Not that not that I'm bitter, and I remember it. But um, <laughs> and I remember I remember speaking at the fans forum, and people said like, you know, we're asking questions." And, and, and at the moment, you know, the club is a, is the players, the young players are, are getting games, and they're starting to you know they're not quite ready yet, but we're having to give them games to make them ready. You know, the George Coopers at that time, the Kirkys, the Ainleys at that time, and I I said whoever's manager of this team in Two years time, we'll have a good time. And I remember the like the almost not the ruckus in the room, but it was like they don't want it in two years time. They want it there and then, and and that's how it turned out. You know, the year Dave took over, it was tough for sort of twelve months, or at least the end of that season. And a year later, it was still tough. And then that season, last season, was when they were ready. And it's a bit like the young kids. It's like ripening a fruit. They're they're only ready when they're ready. Um, and I. John, when, when he spoke to me about me stepping down, he, he said to me, he said, you shouldn't have took it. You shouldn't have took the job. You should have stuck with the 20. And I, I said, John, I, I had to take it. Crew, the club that I loved, that offered me the assistant manager's job. I might never get offered that again. And I took it, but it was probably in the club's you know, line of when the players were ready, the wrong time. You know, Steve took over at a brilliant time. He had Nick Powell, Murph, Westy. What a time to take over that was. And he and he did brilliantly with them and got them promoted, etc. But then then players go and there's a spell then at Crew where two, three, four years where you struggle. That's just how it is. Uh, and that'll be the same again this time. And at the moment, these players are doing really well and I think they'll do well this year. And then they'll leave. And then there'll be one or two years of stru- tough times. That that's, that's the nature of the club. And that's what keeps the club going. And everyone understands that but I've always felt that if, I, if I've got one regret is on that cycle. And I knew that cycle more than anybody else. Cause I've been there so long. I probably went in at the wrong time because I feel that the players, when we went, when I went in, weren't ready. Um, and, and that process they had to go through. They went through with me and Steve towards the end and now they're ready. And and Kenny and Dave are getting the, not not because they haven't done a brilliant job because they have, but they're getting the benefit of that. And, 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 and they're aware of that. They're not, they're not stupid. They know that, and that that's just how it is. Um, and I, you know, I'm not bitter about that, but it is disappointing from my point of view that I felt when Steve went, I thought that might just be me next. And if it was me next, I thought this team would be all right in a year's time. <laughs> and anyway, it wasn't, and that's how it worked out. And, and and Dave's benefited from that and done brilliantly, and done brilliantly, and got you know got a promotion and good on him, brilliant. So just touching on that slightly, then um, when like I said
0: before, we've had Pete Morse on. Um, and he his assessment of Steve Davis is that he's probably looked at too negatively as a whole. But one thing that he thought he did maybe lose control of was the running down of academy player contracts so that they could leave for free or for cheap.
3: No, I, I like Morsi. I think Morsi's intelligent and good. But I think it's, you know, I was part of all that or, or I saw all that happening. And at that time, the club didn't really have a policy on, how they would do that, and what the first contract to be, and the second contract would be, and I have to say that's something that Dave's done very well. Is because they learnt the lesson from that. It was a, again, the policy after Steve left that was decided. You know, an, a new way of doing it of getting them to sign at certain times and and offering contracts at certain points. But because before um, Steve, it had been Dario, and Dario just did it off gut feeling. Um, so there was no policy. Um, so I think Steve was a bit unfortunate in that way that you know he, he was he was in again that transitional period between probably Dario and Dave where Dave is you know, a very intelligent man off the pitch and you know from a, from a, from that side of things um, got that house in order and, and it, you know a good thing.
0: Okay, final question for me then on this period. Uh, actually, again, it comes from Steve Dale. He said, did the pressure that the two of you were under make having a social life difficult with, I mean, it's come across in this podcast feeling so closely attached to the club, to the area.
3: Nothing oh. like, when you're part of the first team set up, losing on a Tuesday or a Saturday, it's murder. It's horrible. And whatever supporters think, it's horrible. It is, it is just, it ruins till the next game, you, you are on a downer. Um, it's horrible. And it does affect you. And There's no lying about that. What, what used to upset me the most was probably that up until that point at crew, I'd had people stopping me in the street saying what a great job I was doing. And then at the point where I thought I was doing my best coaching, because I, I thought I was on the, on the training pitch, I was coaching really well. And, and I was probably getting hammered by the supporters off the pitch. And I used to eat away at me a little bit because I used to think, well, I used to get praised and I'm actually better now than I was then. And I'm getting hammered now. And it, but that's football, you accept that. That's football. But it did mm. used to, you know, it's hard when you, when, you know, I live locally and I'd go for a pint after the game and people would walk up to you and go, you shouldn't be in here. What are you doing? And I just think, I'm a human being. I'm I, I fucking pissed off. <laughs> I, want, I want a pint after the game. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, <laughs> but most people, I have to say, 95% of people were understanding and, and good and would speak to you. They'd have their opinion and they'd, you know, sometimes I'd want to get it off my chest as well. Um but then, you know, there was the small minority of people that, that made it hard, I have to say. Um but again, that's part of football. Um I'm sure all managers have to you know, that's the job that's part of the job. Um and you have to accept that,
1: I think. Through through the years of coaching, which player really you saw like the most progression with? And then also on top of that as well, I would also say like how frustrating was it for you as a coach to have like the likes of like sort of George Nodden uh, Dan Trickett, Smith, like move on, and you know that they're probably going to get lost, like in the sort of Chelsea and Liverpool's academy, and not really fulfil the potential that they would have done if they stayed on. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the Dan
3: Trickett, Smith,
1: and George number one is always frustrating.
3: When you're at an academy, the one thing crew can't afford to do is lose too many along the journey, and you always lost one or two. That, that's just the nature of it. One or two see the bright lights and go, and you can understand that. Um, but we it was really important not to lose too many. And I think the Dan Trickett-Smith one was, in some ways, we knew Dan was an early developer that was talented and would have had a chance in our team, but I always felt I might not do it in the end, and that was not the thing against Dan. I always thought that when we were offered that sort of money for him at that age, although we didn't want him to go, deep down, I remember saying to Critch, "Now that's good, we've done well there. Cause that, that you know to get that sort of money for him was good although you you never want him to leave because you never know um George was a bit different in the fact of George has had a lot of potential to come and that's what they they were buying they were buying potential um I have to say George Nunn at twelve when we signed him i, I looked at him and thought nah he's not gonna be a player and dario saw something different um which is what he was it was his expertise and he we signed him. And I, I had him under twelve and, and I used to every week I'd say, and George wasn't very good. George would, and Dario, go, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. I have to say, by the time he got to 14, 15, he he really, you know, improved and improved and improved and and you know got himself a move. And it is, you know, there's still a little bit of me that thinks, uh, would he have been better staying? I think he probably would because he'd probably been around our first team now. But I think if you speak to George, you'll say the experiences he's having at a club like Chelsea, you can't replicate them um, anywhere. And, and and who knows? Only he'll be able to tell you at the end of his career whether he made the right choice. Um, I would always be biased towards the crew wave because I always thought, I always think first team games are, you know, I only had 24 of them and I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell them for a million pounds. If someone offered me a million pounds to not have played them 24 games, I'd say, no thanks, I'll take the 24 games. So, it's, you know, it's, it's each to their own, I think, on that one.
2: Tricky one, though, isn't it? Nanswich Road or the Kings Road.
3: That's
1: right. Exactly, exactly. It's tough to reach, isn't it?
3: What was the first question? I missed out the answer to the first one.
1: Um, just um, which player, really, um, through the years of coaching, like, just for, like, the progression they've actually made. Like, cause obviously, Nick Powell's obviously the standout quality of sort of that period of time. But, like, sort of, you Ashley Westwood and stuff like that. Like, he, he stands out. West,
3: Westy, Westy by far stands out of do- doing it because Westy never gave us any impression that he was definitely going to do it at that level. He was always a good player. He, he was always one of the higher ones in the group without being the best one in the group, but had a great attitude. And and I suppose we underestimated his techniques a little bit. His techniques are so good. His passing is he, so crisp. And he, he ended up going into a team where that's what they wanted him to do, you know. Be the be the the deep midfield player, if you like, that that can pass the ball and 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 he, he's so good at it. And I have to say, seeing Westie play every week in the Premier League and have a, such a long career in the Premier League is is wonderful to see because he you know he deserves it and deserves you know, the money that I'm sure has come his way now <laughs> um, because he was never a high flyer and and did improve. The best player I've seen improve was Perry Ng because he was. You know, he won't mind me saying he was very average as a kid, very average, and was at the bottom end of the group. And but always got on with it, never moaned, turned up for training every week from Liverpool. You know, it's a big commitment at eleven, twelve when you're not one of the better players to come at. You know, to crew three or four times a week. His dad's a terrific bloke, um, and he to see him improve to where he's got to now, I think that's an unbelievable achievement for him. And you know, I think he can go and play. Higher than he's playing now, certainly. Um, minimum championship and possibly even more. Um, he's a good player. So, Tim, I believe you've got yeah, some so true is, uh, or false for James
0: Then now.
2: True or false, or if you don't want to answer, you can you can plead the fifth. Um, so, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, we'll start you off, start you off nice and easy. Dario Gradi's is a football genius. Yes, true. Neil Baker would smoke in the dressing room.
3: Oh, he would. I can't remember it he he, right actually in the middle of the dressing room, but he'd find an area very close.
2: So, are we going true with that one?
3: True. gonna on, go true with that.
2: Seth Johnson once, uh, let's say, borrowed Dario's car. I, I don't know. False, I'd say. Okay. Derby are a miles bigger club than Stoke. True. Majid Vergara was another level. True. Burslem is a wonderful and delightful place.
3: He has to test him on I have to live around this area, you know. Um, you can't tell me that. I can't say... Uh, I'm pleading a fifth <laughs> on that one.
2: Gresty the Lion looks more like a monkey than a lion. True. Marcus Rashford nearly came to crew on loan. True. Ben Ricks was massively underrated.
3: I liked Ben, but false.
2: Colin Cram got chased through Reese Heath by bookmakers agents.
3: <laughs> false.
2: Might be true, but I didn't see it happen.
0: Excellent. Well done. Cheers. I was ready to move on, but I'd like you to tell about the Marcus Rashford team. How close I, was
3: that to happening? I can speak from because that was that was not me, but that was me. I, I I went to watch a lot of the twenty ones games at that time and obviously knew Colin little at Man United at that point, um, because from playing with him. And I went to watch the Man United's twenty ones and Rashford played and I thought he'd do us. And I remember, you know, I rang, I spoke to Colin and Colin went, Yeah. He would, he liked him, really liked him, um, and said, you know, yeah, ring Warren Joyce, the 23s coach. Anyway, I rang Warren Joyce, um, and Warren Joyce said his answer was no, because they needed him for the 23s because he was an eight. he was, I think he was 18 at the time. I can't remember exactly his age. He was young and he was playing for the, he said, we need him for the 21s or whatever it was, 23s at that time. Um. And anyway, it was only about two weeks later he got thrown into the first team, and the rest is history. So they didn't say they wanted to keep him because he was going to go in the first team. They thought they needed him to play games for them because they didn't have many fit. Um, so whether that's close or not, he, we we inquired about him, and they said no, but not for the reason that ended up happening two weeks later or whatever it was. How does the Wolves calls. job come about for you? Last, you know, once you once you've been assistant manager and not. Not got the manager's job. I went back to the academy, which I loved, and you know, I loved the club. But it was, it was suddenly going away from to head of coaching, where you're not taking a team, and you're not um, you're not you're not managing a group anymore. And that's the bit coaches love. You know, you want to be on a game day, you want to be there for training every day, and being a head of coaching, I think it's a job for uh, maybe an older, older guy that can. You know, when you're coming towards the end of your career a little bit. Um, but I, I did it and was enjoying it. So what does that not, role
2: involve, James? Sorry for interrupting.
3: Basically, you're there to, you know, a crew, every club, it's slightly different. A crew, it was, um, you know, I I threw, some people do it where they they coach the coaches. You're there to coach the coaches and then the coaches pass on that information to the players. At crew, I did it where I just carried on coaching the players because that's what I wanted to do. So I, I, I just got involved as much as I could with coaching players and hoped that, you know, the coaches, like, you know, I remember taking the you know under fifteen, sixteens with Ryan Dicko, which was Ryan's team, and I would, you know, do some stuff with them, and we I'd do some pre match stuff with them, and hopefully he, uh, you know, looking back, I hope he'd say he'd pick some stuff up that he now uses, and so that's how I developed the coaches by by hopefully developing the players, but everybody does it different at every club. That you know, some don't deal with the players; they just deal with the coaches at Crew. I always felt it's always got to be about the players. Um, just quickly then. How close
0: were you to actually getting the first team manager's job at Crew? I know we've start, moved away from that.
3: I felt I was next in line because that, that was what I was... And I don't mean I was told, but that's what I was led to believe that after the good John Thorderson, I was told we'd, we'll be doing it from within because we think that's the right way. Um, and I looked at within and, and no disrespect to anybody else who was there. And I felt I was the best equipped, the most experienced, ready. Um, so I'll be honest, I, I just had it in my mind, that would be what happens next. Um, so when it didn't, I have to say it was a real body blow. Um, so yeah, I, I will not say I ever came close, but I always thought that was, that was what was next on the agenda. And that's what I felt was going to happen. Uh, anyway, it didn't and the rest is history.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you are obviously now at Wolves. How big a difference is...
3: Scott Sellers, the academy manager saying, would I be interested in having an interview? And I remember thinking... I I didn't go for interviews. I I always felt it's a bit like cheating on your girlfriend when you've been at Crew so long. Going for an interview somewhere is like, you know, (laughs) I just didn't feel it was right, but I thought I should do it. Um, Anyway, I went for an interview and went through that process, got the job. So then all of a sudden you're you're walking through a door at a Premier League club, and, you know, when you've been somewhere for so long who's done it a certain way for so long, you know, it is so different. It is very different. they all have every club out its own philosophy, every club out its own way of doing things. Um, but I think fundamentally, in the end, it's about making players better and developing players, um, which is the same everywhere. So that's, that's what I focused on. Um, and hopefully that's holding me in good stead. Uh,
0: a question I'm sure you've been asked before, but
3: technically I'm you're now Steve Davis's boss. boss. Under the academy manager. Steve's the 18s coach and the 23s coach. Now, Steve... Um, right you know, I, I I always believe when I was at crew that you know the under 10 coach isn't any less important than the under 11 coach or the under 15 coach isn't any less important than the under 18 coach. I think that's a, a big thing in football where coaches are desperate to go up that notch obviously because they want to get near to first team. Um but for me everyone's got an important role in the the development of the players and me and, me and Steve work closely together now in the fact of my under 23 this year is you know we've got four or five regular basically scholars playing for us so they're players that Steve worked with last year Um and Steve knows well so we work we work closely together I would never you know I, I'm not his boss I, I, he's a colleague and he works with me Is there anyone that crew should be looking again on now? Kenny um, a, a bit more regularly and, and Alex as well Alex Morris um, we've got some good players the, the difficulty is they haven't played the, you know, the games yet at that level so it's very difficult to go you've got to take him um because the very best ones tend to need to go to a, you know, a slightly higher level. Um, you know, we our very best ones; they want them getting, you know, to the championship. You know, we had a boy last year called Dion Sanderson who went to Cardiff in the championship, uh, who I recommended to Crew because I thought, you know, Crew he might do well for Crew, but Crew didn't need one at that point, and obviously he got promoted, so they definitely didn't need one. Um, but I, I suppose, I guess, you know, there's players that are good that are ready at different times. And I suppose we have to send them on loan when they're just at that point of, are they ready or aren't they? And I think that's a a tough decision for the clubs to make at both ends um, because sometimes they need to go there to gain that experience. But the clubs who are taking them, like Crew, they want them to be ready to to get them out of League league One at the moment or get them up League One. So I think that's, um, it's always a tough one. And I always think, well, you know, if I'm asked, I will um, always give my honest opinion on what our players need. Um, and if they wanted one, I would definitely, you know, recommend them. But I think, you know, me being on the phone saying you've got to take him, you've got to take him, I think you know, they've got to make their own minds up, and then I'll help them if they if they want the guidance, which I've done.
2: Is it a little disheartening as someone that's still very much part of the player development pathway? when you're at a club that's willing to put their hand in their pocket and they've got contacts with a super agent and, and, you know, you you think you've got a player that's almost ready for first-team football and then they bring, you know, a £60 million Portuguese kid in? Um,
3: No, because I think you can say, you know, you can look at that both ways. I think Wolves want to produce the best in the world at whatever they're doing, whether that's the best sports scientists, the best first-team players, the best... They want to be, you know, Foson who own the company. Uh, They're ambitious, and driven, and they want to produce the best. So our job at Wolves now is to make sure we've got the best kids. And if we if we haven't, then they're going to bring better ones in. And you know, if you're you're bringing a 17 year old, you know, the first team at the moment, Neto playing in the first team, who's, you know he he's eligible for our under 23s, but I'm never going to see him. <laughs> um, so you know, I think the boys have got to see that standard because that is the standard. Um, and these boys every so often drop down. You know, we played the other night and. The, the boy, Kijana, from um, Liverpool, who was just signed for Liverpool, played for us. And uh, Ryan Bennett played for us. John Ruddy played for us, who who obviously was at Crew many years ago. Yeah, uh, And it's just a great to see them players um, and the professionalism and the standards yeah. they set. Because then, you know, you've got a, a bar, haven't you? And you've got to set that bar high. And I think if you set that bar high, then you've got a chance of reaching it. If you set it low, then the club won't get to where they want to get to. So I think it's up to our players and other, our staff to make our players better um, so they don't need to in two years time or three years time or four years time they don't need to spend 60 million because we, we've we got a, a player that's come through the system that's just as good um, if they're not just as good then they have to bring them in from the outside that's, that's the Premier League I'm afraid
2: Yeah it's almost like not changing clubs moving from crew to Wolves. it's almost changing sports
3: <laughs> It is different but I have to say, a lot of it, one of the reasons I went there was when I, when I spoke to the chairman. The chairman is, is uh, you know, Jeff Shee is very, very driven to improve the academy. Very, very driven. He comes to all the 23s games. He, he knows all the under-18s players. He knows all the under-16 players. He is he's an unbelievably um, passionate about Wolves producing their own. Now, that doesn't mean he'll put them in when they're not ready, whereas at Crew, sometimes we have to do that financially. Um, our, you know, we we put them in early, and that's what what happened at Wolves. He wants to do it, but he wants them to be good enough. Um, but he's you know, he's committed to helping us do that. Um, and and that's that's the that's the challenge. That's why I'm enjoying it so much. You know, can we get one of these one or two good enough to play in in our first in the in you know, in our first team? And that's the challenge. Because if you do, then to watch them play every week in the Premier League is
1: there's nothing better. Only tongue in cheek, as uh, how's your Portuguese coming on? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I have to say they all speak very good English, um, and and what what they are is very humble in the fact of you know they'll all come and speak to you, they'll all come and ask coach how are you. Um, but that's one, one of the big things that I think it's important to say that I think people have a misconception of Premier League footballers sometimes. I have to say uh, that they, they they are they've been brilliant with me. The first, you know the first team players they come over, they'll speak, they'll say hello, ask how you are um they show real interest in you and i think you know that's part of the reason you know, the first team have had a lot of success because they've got a group of uh, humble footballers um w- which has been great for me to see
1: which of the first team is like do you see in trade like just that sort of incredible technical ability we we have you know
3: obviously with access to, to seeing a lot of the training that they, they are the standard is just so high it's it's hard to put a you, know, you think you've seen a high standard, and you think you've you know a high standard, and then they take it up a notch. And I'm sure there's a notch above that. You know, a Man City, a Liverpool. If you come watch them train, I'm sure there's a there's another notch. Um, you know, it, it'd be it's hard to single them all out. But you know, the, 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 I, I look at Jimenez up front. You know, Raúl Jimenez, and I, I've never seen such a hard working, um centre forward that he's got that ability. It used to be that you had that ability and you wandered around up front ball up here now his he, defending his work rate his effort off the ball is second to none and then with that he's got unbelievable touch spirit finishing ability um, absolute outstanding so one last question for me then is um, you were
2: talking about him and us um, anyone else for those of us playing uh, fantasy league that you think might have a any hidden gems might have a blinder for us this, for Wolves this season that we can uh, snap up on
3: the cheap. Uh, good question. That I think um, it looks, you know, like Neto. he looks a really exciting player. Um, you know, like, last year he came in, and I think no one had sort of because he's a young kid from the outside, and I think that'll be part of the reason that you know, the Gaffers let Yotta go because he's got that replacement, um, and I think he looks a really exciting player. And if I was, you know, a fantasy team, that's that might, he might be the one. who will get you some points for relatively cheap compared to some others. Nice one. I'll get him in my team now. Thanks. (laughs) Um, So, James, final question for me then. Um, What's
0: the ultimate aim then? Where is it that you see yourself heading with your coaching?
3: Um, I think, listen, I'm one of them people that I'm grateful to be working in football. Um, I get paid for doing something that I love and and I do love it. You you can always have ambitions of managing a first team one day. But I'm not, you know, I would love to do that, but it's not something I'm, you know, I'm, I've got to do. I, I really enjoy developing players. I really enjoy being part of a group that that plays games every Saturday. You know, we're in a league where it's competitive, it's development, and I think you know, that's where my strengths lie. But, you know, I, I would never say I didn't want to have a go at it because I, I do think I could do it and I think I'd be good at it. Um, and, you know, if you know, if, if I do die having not done it, then you think, well, what could have been? Um, so, yeah, maybe one day. But um, I'm, if I'm working in football still in 10, 15 years' time, I'll be happy. So
0: thank you so much for your time there, James. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and we do wish you all the best for the future, if that ever entails being back in South Cheshire or not.
3: Thanks James. for the time and obviously, I hope, I hope we get another promotion, we get back in the Championship this year. That'd be that'll be nice, wouldn't it?
0: Thank you to Tim and Neil for joining us. And
3: as ever, thank you to,
0: for you to listening. Uh, please continue to like, share, tell everyone about us. We'd love for as many people as possible to hear what we're doing. We hope to be back on Monday. Uh, with our regular episode so until then goodbye